0: the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie. I have a brand new guest on. Her name is Nicole Anderson. She's a certified peer support specialist out of Phoenix, Arizona. She is certified in peer support and dedicated to helping others healing and spreading awareness about psychological abuse, often called hidden abuse or narcissistic abuse. She has healed a lot of her child abuse trauma and trauma with CPS and wants others to know they can too. She's a jack of many trades and can be found on TikTok at Transmuting Black Cat LLC and we're going to have ourselves a conversation about, you know, people lying in court and false accusations and I welcome you to the show Nicole. You know, how did you get into being a certified peer support specialist? Healing my trauma actually took
1: me that route. Um, I was in with my trauma therapist, and she actually recommended it for part of my trauma healing. And that's really when I got into being able to help others work through similar,
0: very dark and dense traumas. Because, I mean, I've never, like, how did you, is there a class that you take? There are institutes
1: here in Arizona, and they have other locations across the, I believe, the world is RI Institute, Mm -hmm. and they do a certification class. There are other places that you can also get certified in that.
0: Oh, that's fascinating. I mean, that's good to know. Um, There probably should be more of you out there with (laughs) all the, you know, the trauma that is caused by, you know, family conflict and CPS and people having their kids removed for no good reason based on a a false accusation. Yeah. You know, um, it is
1: tough out there right now. Yes. You know,
0: what happened to you to bring you this far?
1: Uh, My kiddo, actually, I looked at my kiddo and I looked at um, the in-laws and I said, if I do not do something to change and heal my trauma, it's going to continue to be passed down. Because what happened to us wasn't a one shot off. It was carried down. On that side, there's there's extensive trauma going back to grandparents and probably great-grandparents. Um, and looking at my kiddo, it was almost a year after my case was closed, and I was still so angry inside. And I looked at her one morning and said, I have my family back. I have my kiddo back, and I'm still living like this. I'm still angry and still trying to find a way to make them pay for what they did. And I looked at her. She walked in with her beautiful smile and said, good morning, mommy. And I just, I broke right there and said, oh. if I cannot heal this, she's going to end up just like me. She's going to go through the same life experiences that I did. Because when we don't heal ourselves, we pass it to the next generation. Because when we don't heal, we can't be healthy for ourselves. We can't be healthy for each other. You can't be a healthy parent if you don't know how to be healthy for yourself. And before my healing, I wasn't, I wasn't who I would want to be as a parent. And I didn't want her to have my life.
0: At least, you know, some people recognize this and some people just don't. They feel they can handle things on their own. They don't need a counselor or, you know, any help like that. And, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink, you know, um, when this all happened did you immediately seek out help
1: no no um it was we got her officially back february i believe eleventh, two 2017 and it was not until the summer no actually august of 2019 that i was finally able to get into trauma therapy so come the summer of 2018 I had found that I, I needed help. I couldn't get through on my own because I had tried everything up until that point. And it took me a good year and a few months to get into trauma therapy. That's when I started my research online and really started because I said, I can't, my kid cannot wait a year. My kid cannot wait till whenever there's an opening. So I actually started teaching myself many of the skills that I learned in therapy by scouring the internet, by reading self-help books, by reading um, mindset books and changing the way that you think about things, the patterns that you go through when you're thinking about things. So I put in a lot of legwork on my own because again, I did not want her to live the life that I had. Mm -hmm. Not only did her dad come from a long line of trauma moving back, but so did I. I didn't come from a a healthy childhood. I came from child abuse. I was abused as a child growing up, bounced around. I was not shown that love. So I definitely knew since I didn't receive that love, I didn't know how to love. I didn't know how to interact with somebody without the lens of my trauma being in front of me. Mm -hmm. It was almost like wearing foggy glasses and you can't see. Nothing is clear. And a lot of the times when we can't see, when we don't understand, the number one emotion that comes out is anger. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of yelling. There was a lot of ignoring. There was a lot of shutting down. And I knew from the life that I came from, that was definitely not going to be something that was going to help her. Mm -hmm. I did before the trauma cut out the physical. We've never been physical with her because... I was physically abused, Mm -hmm. Um, but I knew that without somebody coming in and really helping me work through the deep rooted stuff until I got all of that out, nothing was going to change. And the cycle was going to continue down. It like it has with her father. Um, He's not in the picture. We are still married, but he's not in the picture because The trauma is just too much sometimes and sitting with the pain that comes with that, because what people don't understand is, yes, people are afraid of the unknown. Who am I going to be after this? I don't know who I am without my trauma, but you have to sit with yourself and you have to look at all of yourself not just the victim, not just the things that were done to you, but you have to look at the things that you've done. You have to look at the behavior that you've taken on, that you've adopted to survive. You've got to be able to honestly look at everything that you had to do to survive so that you can start to unpack that. Because when we stay looking at things from a victim's standpoint, we can't see our role in it as an adult, as a kid, not our, not our, our responsibility, not our fault, but as an adult, we have to unpack that stuff. And unfortunately I don't, I don't know that he's reached a place that he can sit because that's some heavy stuff to let out when you Mm -hmm. come from families that don't show you, don't show you love. It's a lot to unpack and it's painful. It hurts. It hurts a lot. Yeah.
0: some people, do you think some people just never recover from these things? Huh? Yeah. Like, like they're lifers of this trauma.
1: Yeah. Uh, complex PTSD, when you go through situations like this, because it's not a one and done. Mm-hmm. CPS cases and childhood trauma, those are consistent abuse. And when you get tangled in with CPS, those are sometimes a year or more cases where you're consistently going through the battery of that. I got lucky in my case that I had a phenomenal judge and I had two workers that stayed on the case to make sure that nobody could come in and and throw things off because they saw the work that we were putting in. Um, But when you throw in substance misuse on top of trauma, that is a web that is almost impossible to get out of because... You numb for so long that you forget that pain. And then when you feel that pain again, it's a thousand times more painful than it ever was when it happened.
0: Mm. Also with this CPTSD, you know, a lot of people don't know what that is. And, you know, it's so hard explaining it to people that, you know, you been through the the uh, fiasco of cps what they put you through and the false allegations that turned into you know perhaps job loss career loss loss of your children you know it just it's a lot of people just don't understand they just stare at you and don't know what to say ptsd is um
1: more so linked to one event, like a car accident. So you know that every time you go to drive, you may have some some kind of triggers there. When you're talking about complex PTSD, you're talking about a multitude of traumas that consistently happen over the course of a long period of time. So it's no longer, well, I, I have trouble driving. It's, I have trouble leaving my house. I have trouble trusting people. I have trouble seeing the world as a friendly place because Mm -hmm. it changes the entire way that you see the world that you see yourself that you see people it changes the entire way that you interact with people when you have the closest people to you work together to put together a false report how do you trust anybody after that Mm -hmm. when you are told that they're watching and you have cops constantly driving by your house knowing that the other party is tied with the cops you're scared to leave your house. There was um, probably three years that I did not let my kiddo outside of the house unless she looked picture perfect because I was terrified that her hair being out of place or her clothes being dirty or her having some kind of dirt on her was gonna spark another case. Mm-hmm. And that didn't just stem from one case, but when our it was passed to a different judge that ended up closing it out, he told us, "This, you guys are the case of the year. This is not how cases end. I don't see cases like this often. This will be the only case I see successful in this year. Two weeks after that, we had CPS back at our door because the same parties that filed the false report in the beginning filed another one through their um, therapist. So they were back at our door. So we knew that this was not going to be a battle where, one, we proved to the courts, we proved... I mean, I kept the case open an additional four months so that I could continue getting therapy. I could continue getting child development classes and so that we had the protection of CPS because they're already in our life. Mm -hmm. We already have parentates. We already have a case manager. We already have attorneys. So anything that they wanted to keep throwing at us, which they did, every time that they heard that the case was going good and we were getting closer to reunification, they have thrown another false allegation. So when you go through that, you you are in a place of, I always saw myself as like a chained dog. I was chained up and there were these other dogs that would come and they would nip at me and bite at me. And if I attacked back, I fed right into what they wanted. Mm -hmm. They wanted Mm -hmm. me to look crazy. They wanted me to look unstable because of my mental health background. So I had to sit there and allow people to nip at me and bite at me and tear my character apart accuse me of things that I would never in a million years even think about doing accuse me of not treating my mental health when there was full communication of all of the treatment that I was doing between us and that other party and it it brings you into this fear place where you're just sitting there you're being attacked mm-hmm. and then you retreat all the way in and you don't trust anybody mm-hmm. It takes a long time to get out
0: of that. Yeah, and that's understandable. Um, I too had one false accusation after another with it. They were, they were within four days of each other, but I, these people that file these have no remorse. Cause I figured out who they are. It, you can easily figure out, you know, who keeps calling, but you know, they walk around with no remorse and you know, and like you said, with the CPTSD, you've got this anger because there's no justice. Even though I was exonerated from these things, there still was no justice.
1: And the courts don't hold them accountable. Right. They actually returned because the people who, who were party to filing the false report actually got custody of my kiddo for six months. And they held an emergency hearing and returned her to us within six months, which is unheard of, with substance misuse a part of the case. And they returned her to us because they were fighting for the severance of our rights, even though family reunification was the entire case. It's always been reunification because it wasn't justified to remove her. And instead of holding those parties accountable, instead of holding the false, the reporter that called stated that my house looked a certain way she's never been to my house she would she's never stepped in foot in that house they don't hold them accountable there was a licensed professional a licensed uh, occupational therapist that lied to the judge provable lied to the judge she was not held accountable we were told that's not our job to to hold people accountable for lying and it's like that could have landed my kid gone, that could have, that could have turned this case sideways. Mm. And that licensed professional is still working with kids in Arizona. And it's like, how can you keep, how can you allow people to do this and not charge them with all of the evidence? I mean, we had visits that proved it. We had court documents that proved it. And they just, they don't want to hold anybody accountable for it. So it's like, where, where do we stop? the false reporting that doesn't stop until they're held account. Yeah. There's a, there's a nifty little thing when you call that says it's a felony to false report. But if people know that you're not going to hold them to it, then they're going to keep on
0: reporting. Mm -hmm. Even if you did say, you did hold them accountable and you were say, I don't know, awarded X amount of dollars, they're not going to pay you that because they're not held accountable. Same thing. You know, there's yeah. people that have you know talked to people that have won cases and they're still waiting for money that's not coming. They don't they don't enforce anything and no one is held accountable and that's just very disturbing when this happens to anyone.
1: My case was a rarity. My case does not typically go this way. I had a judge that was not pro-CPS. I had an attorney that had worked on the child's side, so knew everything that was required. And I had a case manager and a parent that both stayed on my case until it closed to make sure that people like the licensed occupational therapist, who had no communication with me or the father, only with the in-laws that actually were cause of this, Um, so that nobody like her could move in and change the route of it. Because we know that there's a big payout when adoptions are made. There's Mm -hmm. a big payout for kids that are placed in foster care and that type of thing. And to have a case manager stay on the case for the entire year is unheard of. And she ended up quitting the day that the case went to court and closed. I called her to thank her and they said she's no longer here she she left with our case. It was that bad. It was that eye opening. Um, and the information that I gathered during that after the lying by the professional um, really opened my eyes to the fraud that is going on within CPS. I know they like to say that they've reformed it, that they um, are doing things better because of all of those calls that went unheard. But that's, that from what i saw that's not actually what happened um i in one of the meetings pulled out the court dog or the court documents that were delivered to my door and stated three different fallacies in it three different either lies by the investigator or lies by the in-laws and it was just it was just ignored it's just Oh, mm-hmm. well, type of thing. And it's like, Hey, either, either the in-laws are lying and you are allowing them to have our kid or the inspector is lying, which means the whole thing needs to be closed. Mm-hmm. But they they there's no accountability across the board at all, at all.
0: No, I, I agree. There is, uh, you know, even if, I mean, you were lucky you had a good judge, but for the most part, you know i've I've heard like a lot of these judges will just go on the word of what CPS is recommending, and you're dealing with people that are not educated enough to even be around people. That's the scary part. Much much less children, and some of them it's a it could be a vendetta. They want to get even with you after they heard this from a one sided interview. Yep. You know, just very, um, I, I don't, I, I just don't know. I think they should just be abolished. I just... They,
1: um, in my opinion, do more harm than good. They do more harm than good. They did not investigate the in-laws. In fact, um, one of the in-laws was less sober than uh, the father than my child's father. She was just getting on treatment, not even 30 days sober. The the stuff probably would have still popped dirty on a test, Mm -hmm. but they don't investigate any of that. And even that, when I brought it up to my attorney and was like, why is this stuff not mattering? I was clearly told you can either let this slide and let her go with family that you're hoping will treat her better or she can be placed in the system with foster and you have no idea who's going to get her and what's going to happen. And I was like, what? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, why are you not just removing the person with the substance misuse problem in the home and returning to the mother that right. doesn't have an issue? Um, but it, the whole thing I feel is just, it's, it's not set up for the parents and if you don't have a good caseworker and a good parent aide and a good judge, mm. you're you're not getting out of there, and your kid's not getting out of there.
0: Mm-hmm. And sometimes they get involved when there is a custody battle. Now, I always heard that CPS can't really get involved during a custody battle because they know attorneys are involved. I guess unless something really bad happens, but usually when you're in a custody battle, it's pretty much, I hate to say, for lack of a better word, a stable battle, you know, um, it's hard to say.
1: uh, If if the other party is um, vindictive, all they have to do is call and they're now CPS is involved as well. I mean, it's not hard to get them involved even with like a custody battle going on that was actually that and grandparent rights were Mm -hmm. part of the reason that my estranged husband and I stayed married Mm -hmm. was because we had agreed when things started not working that we did not want the grandparent rights to be able to play a role and if both parties are still married and both parties still agree that these grandparents are not to be in the child's life then the judges the courts aren't going to interfere with that so part of the reason that we are still married is because it protects our child
0: Mm -hmm. well that that's uh, i i'm sure is that's different for each state with the grandparents rights i'm sure
1: yeah yeah it's grandparent rights are very strong in arizona very strong Mm -hmm.
0: What what a sad situation that people feel they have to make multiple calls to CPS and waste their time on a false accusation when there's some kid down the block, you know, I don't know, being really tortured.
1: Uh, These are also church going people, people that claim to be um, Christians and follow Jesus and do unto others as you wish to be done unto you. And it that's just, it's not, it's not. And they use that mm-hmm. in their benefit. They use that community that they've built to justify their lies. In fact, one of the things that I was told by one of the in-laws was she has a good cart and she's just worried about the child. If you have to lie, then there's nothing to be worried about. You shouldn't have to create lies if your worry is justified. And that's the same thing that I said about the therapist. The therapist shouldn't have had to lie to the judge if her worry was justified. But that's the thing. They cover everything up with, we're worried about the kid. We're worried (laughs) about the kids. When really, you're causing more damage. My kiddo, she's got complex PTSD. Mm. She's got anxiety, separation anxiety. Mm-hmm. If I go to throw out the trash and I'm out there any bit longer than it should normally take, like if a neighbor stops me and says hi or whatever, she's crying when I get back in because she's scared I'm not going to come back.
0: Oh, that's t- that's terrible. That's yeah. terrible. <sighs> and this is what they I I doing to these poor kids based on whatever, uh, accusation, even, you know, I, sometimes I, I lay awake at night and I'm thinking, I, okay, it's 1130. I bet there's some nutty caseworker at some parent's door forcing some kid into their car. I know that sounds, you know, but once you've dealt with these caseworkers and, uh, I don't know how yours treated your, you, but uh, I was completely screamed at for two and a half hours on two separate days.
1: They, uh, my case was strange. Uh, they showed up at one o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, my kiddo had not been with us. She'd actually been with said grandparents all week. Um, they showed up on a Friday night into Saturday at one and we were like, she's not here. She's been with her grandparents since like Tuesday. Um, And they went over to the grandparents' house at about eight in the morning and then came over to our house and told us that we no longer had rights. They brought the cops and um, pretty much told us that we no longer had rights and gave us some paperwork and left, Um, asked to take pictures of the house. And we were like, no, my kid hasn't been here all week. I was so spent that I didn't do anything all week. I laid in bed. Um, And it was two months after that before we were able to see our child.
0: They would not get
1: back to us. They would not like it full on was to the point where they were having people send documents to my door to make sure that I got them. Because in my opinion, it looked very much like they were trying to have us miss court dates that way, case closed. Because if the parents don't show up, what happens? They forfeit. They forfeit their rights. And we had already missed one court date because we were not getting the information. Nobody was emailing us back, calling us back. We weren't getting anything. Um, And nobody would answer why. And then that's when, and I have... I have no idea why that started, but I started getting documents delivered to my door. Somebody was knocking on my door and the paperwork was left at my door. Um, so much so that I was delivered documentation that I was told I should not have. And because I am of a legal mind, I've wanted to be a lawyer since I was a kid. I kept everything. And when oh, yes. we went to meetings, I took everything and they're like, there's no way you have that. And I pulled it out and I underlined it and highlighted and was like, here you go. This was delivered to my door. So I know exactly what's being said. I know exactly what the investigator wrote in that. So my case was, um, as I've said before, not the norm, not the norm. Mm
0: -hmm. When you got your child back, you know, how did she behave towards you? Um,
1: she loved coming home and she cried when we had to force her into the car seat to go back and then when she got to stay there was when we really noticed the trauma before um, this this all started she was one and a half when this happened Mm. before she left she was eating everything that I ate I made my food and she was eating off of my plate exactly Mm -hmm. what I was eating. When we got her back, she wouldn't eat anything but my homemade mac and cheese, which is pasta with sauce and then just cheese in it. She would not eat anything but that. That's the only thing that I could get her to eat for a good, I think, six months it was to the point that I was having to get like the carnation breakfast and the drink, the shake type stuff just so that I could make sure she was getting her nutrients. I can't say what happened at that house for six months. I don't know. I know that every time after that, that she saw a bald headed man, she would bury her head in my arm or in her dad's arm. And she, she would not have anything to do with it. Um, And then the eating was huge for me because Mm -hmm. that was the only thing that she could control was her food and her speech. Uh, They said that she was mute. The in-laws told everybody that she was mute. She wouldn't talk. She talked with us. Um, Her speech was regressed because of all of that. Mm -hmm. We ended up getting her into speech therapy at about three years old. I gave her time to decompressed from having all of the people in and out of her life and appointments and appointments and appointments. Um, And about three, I got her into speech therapy. And now she's in second grade and she is above average in reading. She has some 4,000 more words than kids her age. And she's reading. um, I think it was like 47% better than the kids in her age. So she's come a long way. She, you would not know by talking to her today that she had that happen to her. Uh, You would see it in the way that she interacts with people. She's a little more cautious Mm -hmm. with people and she clings to me Mm -hmm. um, because her dad was in and out. And then of course she, she was taken and we were in and out for those six months. Well, four months that we were having visitation. So that really played played a role on her. Mm-hmm. And we saw it when she got back. In fact, she is now in therapy as well. Mm-hmm. So that she can work through her trauma of all of that and through the trauma of the stuff with her with her dad, with him working through his trauma in the way that he is.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, to find her a child psychologist that gets all this stuff, was that very difficult? I'm- I'm thinking. Um, yes and no. At first
1: I was asking around and I didn't find a place that I felt confident in. And then the clinic that I actually was getting my trauma therapy through, they started a child sect where they were doing trauma therapy for kids. So as soon as they opened that up, I got her in with them. So she was with the same company that I was getting my trauma therapy through. Mm -hmm. So I knew that they were equipped to handle it. um, And I knew that they had the training background to handle all kinds of trauma. Um, And then when I first got her in, I went through the whole whole thing. So they knew up front everything that this seven-year-old has already been through. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that it has been amazing having her having that outlet because she gets to she gets to talk about all of the things without worrying about hurting me mm-hmm. she she is very empathetic because of everything that she's gone through, everything that she's seen. She is very emotionally intelligent. Mm-hmm. So she was holding, and I could tell she was bottling a lot of things because she didn't want me to be hurt by hearing. She didn't want to bring up the sad stuff and then me get sad. Mm -hmm. So now she has an outlet that she can share all of it without having to worry about how is this going to affect mom? Because she's a kid. She shouldn't have to worry about how it's going to affect me. She Mm -hmm. should be able to talk to whether it's me or somebody else. She should be able to talk to somebody to get that stuff out so that she's not shoving it down. That's one of the problems with the older generations is we were taught, shove it down, Mm -hmm. get over it, let it go. Well, that's, that's not the way that works. Mm -hmm. When you shove it down, you're creating bigger monsters, bigger shadows and physical ailments, stomach issues, Mm -hmm. um, autoimmune issues like you're creating all kinds of problems there so I really wanted to make sure that she got in early enough that she could start working through this so that she wasn't trying to figure it out as an adult like I was she wasn't trying to figure out why am I like this why why do I think like this why do I behave like this why am I codependent why am I people pleasing Um, this is kind of eliminating that part where she gets more of a genuine life up front instead of being in survival for the majority of
0: the life. Mm -hmm. Because I'm sure there's a lot of parents out there that just don't get the kids help. Um, Or, you know, or perhaps they don't have the health insurance to even do that. The health insurance, and then they're scared. Mm -hmm. They've already dealt with this. So all
1: it takes is one adult misunderstanding something. Mm -hmm. And now you've got another situation and more trauma. The complex PTSD spans across everything. You get, it's literally like a paranoia of every, you are terrified of everything. You are terrified of something looking the wrong way and somebody taking it and running with it. You're worried about something sounding different. I'm neurodivergent, so I've got ADHD, and I'm on the spectrum, Mm. and the same with her. So we say things that are completely different than what a neurotypical person would say, and it's easy to misunderstand. Um, I was very lucky that the therapist that she has understands a lot of that. She understands and is very, um, when she hears things that she doesn't understand, she comes and asks me, like, "What, what was this about? And then I can, you know, explain this, and you know, we we're working on this, or whatever the situation was. So that makes it a lot um, easier. But to find that is not easy. Mm-hmm. I got lucky because I had an amazing therapist at a clinic that I had already been with for three years that I had already built a trust with. Mm-hmm. So going to somebody else um, in that company felt very natural. It wasn't like starting all over with people that we didn't know, because we trusted that occupational therapist that lied in court. We trusted, you know, the the in-laws, we trusted the, the other family members that helped with this. And if people that close to you can do that, you know, strangers can't.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, most definitely people are sitting ducks and they don't realize it. You know, and back when I was at work, I would tell these young nurses, I would say, if your mother-in-law hates you, give the ring back and run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know, um, because these, not, I mean, there are good mother-in-laws out there, but for the most part, some of them are very um, toxic.
1: You have to pay attention to the red flags these days because it's no longer just a messy split up. It's it's serious business now. It's a mm-hmm. it's child's life. And we know all the stories of foster care.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We, we all know that. We all know what happens in those places a lot of the times. Um, and it's, the world has gotten to such a place where there is so much trauma On a daily basis, people are enduring trauma and they're not working through it. And the only thing that hurt people do is hurt other people. Mm -hmm. So we've gotten to a place where there is more hurting people than there is healing people. And hurt people hurt people, just like healing people heal people, which is part of the reason that I got into doing what I do, helping people heal. Because the more that we get healing out there, The more that we show and we share our story, the more that people in our shoes say, hey, if they did it, we can do it because Mm -hmm. there's nothing different from me and the next person that has trauma. The only difference is I took the time and the energy and I walked through all of that stuff until I weeded out my forest until I got rid of all of that so that I had a lush forest that was full of love and self-validation and self-acceptance and self-love self-care and that's one of the things that's missing that leads to this Mm -hmm. is a lot of people are seeking their in-laws to fill a void that their parents didn't fill Mm -hmm. they weren't loved and cared for and given the attention that they needed and that makes them a target for other people that are hurt because they're easy to target. I was an easy target. Mm -hmm. I wanted that love and I sought after that love and I would squish myself down to nothing to receive anything remotely close to it. Mm -hmm. So it's, we are in a place where we need to get healing to a wide scale. We need to get, I believe that healing and self-care and mental health should be a part of public curriculum. Mm -hmm. I believe that kids should be learning about their feelings, about how to identify them, about um, how to deal with other people's feelings, how to care for themselves properly. I believe that we should be learning about mental health and what it looks like. At young ages, that's Mm -hmm. part of the reason that I share all of this with her so that she can see it. So she sees red flags. She'll ask, well, why don't we talk to these people anymore? Mm -hmm. Because of this, this, and this. And if people aren't going to treat us the way that we should be treated, then they don't have access to us because it's not healthy. We don't endure pain to keep other people. If they want us in their life, then they will do the work to heal and be healthy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it starts with the kids it all goes back to kids if we don't start teaching them we're gonna have adults just like me that are trying to heal and i tell you what healing this stuff at a young age watching her heal has been an eye-opener compared to watching myself heal it is much easier to heal at a younger age and process as things are coming than it is to sit down at 36 and say why am I like this? Why can I not stand on who I am? Why don't I have, I didn't even know what boundaries were. I mm-hmm. didn't know how to set boundaries. I didn't know how to, to hold boundaries. I didn't know how to honor anybody else's boundaries. Like these are all things that I think that need to be taught in school if the parents aren't going to have time to do it. And nowadays with inflation and everything else, parents don't have the luxury of one income anymore. Mm-hmm. Most families are having to have both parents work to provide anything above poverty, even just barely at poverty level. A lot of the times, both of the parents are having to work. Mm-hmm. If both of the parents are having to work, how can they be expected to put in that kind of time and effort and education? They don't have it. By the time they get off, they're exhausted. They're they're mentally drained, emotionally drained from work, if not physically, And then it's dinner time and it's homework, then it's bedtime. Where do you have time to do that?
0: You know, I think you're absolutely right. This all should be started to be taught in school, you know, uh, grade school level all the way up to high school. That way, these kids are, uh, you you get it ingrained into their system, the red flags of what to look for with these personality disorders, people lying uh, they also need to be taught accountability. Yes, and uh, I, I would like to see this being done soon in these in these school districts. But uh, in a way, you can't even hold these teachers accountable.
1: No, no, it's um, I don't have the answers on how to change things. No. I don't either. Comes- I know that we have to start with the kids and there needs to be a complete reform, but that, that comes down to the teachers are stressed. The teachers are overworked. The parents are overworked. Um, the normal people in society don't have the resources to do the job that they need to do while the few are sitting up with way more resources than they need Mm -hmm. and it's come to the point where it's like when are we going to topple that system so that we all have the equal rights to raise and teach and learn and heal and grow without it being well we're going to sacrifice our mental health because we've got to keep food on the table Mm -hmm. we're going to sacrifice our mental health because we've got to keep a roof over our head and electricity on we've got to keep gas in the car so we can continue to get to work mm-hmm. um and i don't i don't know that any of that changes until we the people can collectively come together and stop dividing over everything until we can come together and say you matter and i matter no matter what we look like or our background mm-hmm. or or what we believe in or anything we all matter and stand together i don't know how we get that power back to change anything with the kids Mm -hmm. and the kids are the ones that are getting hurt the most this new generation they are so awake emotionally and they can't handle the the density the stress the rage and hate that this world is filled with and they are just they're snuffed out Mm -hmm. They're told, why can't you, why can't you work that 40 hours, 60 hour a job when it's barely paying the rent and the utilities and food anyway? You Mm -hmm. can't, you can't live. You're barely surviving, but Mm -hmm. you're spending all of your time at that job. It, to these younger kids, it, that makes no sense. Mm -hmm. Why are we barely surviving on a planet that is capable of providing for all of us?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Food grows. Mm-hmm. Food mm-hmm. grows. <laughs> right. Foods are here. Like we could we could do a lot of this without having the monetary that is here. And it's just, it's this consumer system that, in my opinion, until it comes down a notch or two or altogether, I don't know how the younger generation gets out from under that, mm-hmm. like, especially with the older generations pushing them down and saying, well, we did it. Well, things were a lot different when, when I was a kid compared to when, you know, now that I'm having a kid mm-hmm. and things were even vastly different from when my parents were kids and when their parents were kids. So I think that the accountability goes further than just CPS. I think mm-hmm. it goes all the way to the top.
0: Most definitely you know um is there anything else you'd like to add i i could talk all afternoon but <laughs> <laughs> this I flew think by
1: we covered <laughs> so many topics too um no i think that i think that that's a good i think that we covered a lot of stuff today
0: we definitely did and i'd like to have you come back on Oh, absolutely um cuz i just think it's fascinating becoming a certified peer support specialist you know, we need to even talk about that more and how people can get into that to help other people, because there's just, I think there's such a big need for this.
1: I can, um in between now and the next time that we talk, I'll gather some more resources for that and the process and everything, and we can really dig into that so that we can give the listeners' resources if they want to get. It's not like a year-long process. It's something very doable for people. So mm-hmm. um, I will gather up those resources for the next time that we meet.
0: Oh, I would appreciate that. Um, if someone wants to reach you or has any questions, how can they get a hold of you? If they want to reach me directly, they can reach
1: me at um, tmblackcat@outlook.com or they can jump onto my TikTok, which has a wide variety of resources. That is can't underscore silence underscore won't underscore shh with two H's or transmuting black cat LLC. Both of them should pull me up.
0: That's excellent. Well, hey, uh, you know, don't jump off. Uh, Slam the Gavel a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join me again here with Nicole Anderson in the future and other exciting guests. Thank you so much, Nicole. I've, this was excellent. Thank you. Thank you so
1: much. It has been
0: my pleasure. I'm glad. Thank you.